I drink a lot of coffee, all right? And some would say that it's a problem, but y'all, it's just a way of life, right? Uh, And sure, it's fine to pick up a cup of coffee at some local shop and take it back home, but there's nothing better than the feeling of that mug in your hand on a slow Saturday morning with that sweet, sweet coffee, right? Now, I think that it might be a requirement uh, if you're going to follow Jesus to have to at least own a Christian-themed coffee mug. Now, you're thinking right now, you're looking at home in your, in your cabinet, and you see just a slew of them. I mean, you can walk around Hobby Lobby, and you'll find mugs that say great things like, all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus, right? Or my personal favorite, not today, Satan, right? Like, there, there is nothing that's more intimidating to the prince of darkness than us as spirit-filled, caffeine-filled warriors who've got threats emblazoned on our ceramic mugs. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than that. But here's the thing. I think that, that there's, there's, this, there's this thing, there's a reason that we have these kind of mugs. And they do two things. They encourage us and they comfort us. Because here's the thing. Life is hard. That's not a surprise to any of us. Bad things are going to happen. And, and almost that's a guarantee for us. But what do we do? What do we do when they do? We have a choice that we have to make, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Getwell Church. So excited that you joined us for worship, whether you're here uh, on Getwell Road or you're joining us on, uh, online, however and wherever. If you're our guest, especially, thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, for worship. Now this morning, as Jonathan said earlier, we are wrapping up our summer a sermon series called Catalyst, and for the past 16 weeks, yes, 16 weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts and looking at how new life starts with God. We've seen over and over and over again how the church, even though they may find themselves in these kind of precarious situations, how the Lord guides and directs and redeems the church all along the way. God's spirit guides and directs them and brings new life in places that honestly, when the world on the outside looks at it, goes, it's impossible. God's spirit comes in, swoops in, and brings redemption where only he can make ways possible. And here's the thing. Those stories, these stories that we've been working through, they happened almost 2,000 years ago. But one of the most beautiful things that we can hold on to is that God's spirit hasn't changed. Even though it was so far ago, God's spirit is still the same today. He's still bringing new life. And friends, is that not something that we all desire? Yes. So I've got a question for you this morning. What do you do when bad things happen to you? What do you do when bad things happen to you? How how do you respond to those things? And if you're like me, kind of my natural response isn't always entirely positive. Uh, I think that it's just part of our human nature that when something bad happens to us, we want to play the victim. But here's the thing is that that's not the witness that we have from the early church. Now, when I was younger, I used to think that if I did all the right things, you know, the things that God wanted me to do, then, then things would go my way. So if I went to church, if I said my prayers every morning and every night, if I tithed, uh, if I was nice to the kid next to me at lunch, then naturally, right, nothing bad was going to happen. Uh, things would go as, as I would want them to. But as life has gone on, um, I have realized the reality that that's not exactly uh, how all this plays out. So I think it's no surprise to any of us that bad things happen in life. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where things go bad, right? 
And then in a matter of moments, they go from bad to badder. And just when you didn't think that it could get any worse, guess what? It does. Now, I don't know if you have had any kind of experience like that in your life. Maybe it's in the life of someone that you know and you love. But what we find at the end of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul setting sail from Caesarea in Israel. He's, he's going to Rome because he's going to appeal before Caesar. Now, you might remember that at the end of his third missionary journey, uh, Paul had been imprisoned whenever he arrived in Jerusalem. Why? Because he was passionately preaching and teaching about Jesus and, sp- and spreading the good news of Jesus uh, to the world. Now, last week, Pastor, jo- Pastor Jonathan showed us that even though Paul was in prison, even though he was on trial, what Paul did was he leveraged uh, his situation to share the gospel with even some of the most powerful people in the land. But what we find and pick up today is uh, as Paul sets sail, he finds himself in a situation that just quickly goes south. And after they slowly make their way along the coast of of Italy, they find themselves for days at sea without wind. I mean, back in the day, they didn't have motors to move them along, so you're at the mercy of the wind. And after a long time, what they find is that winter is beginning to set in and and things are going to be pretty, pretty bad. So if you've got a Bible or a device that you read from, let's open up and we're going to be in Acts chapter 27, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. Acts chapter 27, we'll pick up in verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island named Cauda, we, hardly were, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sartus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep, your, keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed." Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sell with you. And this is important, chapter, uh, verse 25. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that, will hap- that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So for two weeks, 14 days, they're at sea. They're encountering this this storm that just continues to be raging and never relenting. And all but Paul are filled with fear about what's going to happen. I mean, they they just think about that 
the inevitable is going to happen, but the inevitable happens just not quite exactly as they thought. Verse 41 of chapter 27 tells us, The ship struck a sandbar and read aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. Now you can imagine the passengers and the crew and, and the panic that they would have had. Uh, they've weathered the storm this long, and, and they're, they're thinking that not only have we lost the ship, we're going to lose our lives as well. But Paul, he, he stands strong in remembering and standing on the promise that God had made. And here's the thing we find as the story continues on that all of them made it to safety. They made it to shore. None of them died just as God had promised. Because here's the truth. Is that whether it's the most perilous situation or the mundane reality of everyday life, God calls us to place our faith in him. Now, even when we're not sure how all of it's going to play out, even when we're not sure how, how this thing is going to end in the moment, what we can do is hold on to faith in the one who holds it all because he is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Now, Paul and the others, they, they do make it to shore, um, but just wait till you see what happens next. So if you've got your Bible still open, let's look at chapter 28. We'll pick up in verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. All right, so shipwreck, still not to Rome. It's raining and cold. They have had, you know, maybe a nice meal. But here we go. Verse 3, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with all the supplies we needed. Now think that, you know, after the shipwreck and, and now the viper, it would have been so easy for Paul just to, to throw in the towel. You know, not only had the bust been, the, the um, voyage been a bust so far, I mean, he'd been bitten by a viper. What would you do? If you were putting some firewood on, on the fire and all of a sudden here comes a snake, it fastens itself on your arm, I mean, how would you respond? Pretty sure it would be tough for me to shake that off, don't you think? Uh, it is fastened to me. Um, but here's the thing is when things don't go as we plan, oftentimes we just look to give up. Um, things go bad or worse and, and we just want to get out of the situation however we can. But like Paul, we have a choice because the way that we respond is a choice. You know, are, are we going to play the victim 
which is the easy way to go, the easy route, or are we going to look beyond that moment to something, to, to someone greater than that? See, today's culture thrives off this victim mentality, all right? And what that means is that we've become hypersensitive to, to perceiving that everything that happens to us makes us a victim, more and more and more. And what ends up happening is it rewires our brains so that instead of just things that actually do happen to us and make us a victim of sorts, we start to perceive that everything that ever happens to us, whether good or bad, and whether it's real or not, that it does make us a victim. Here's the thing, the witness of scripture tells us that we're not promised to come out unscathed from the difficulties and trials that we face in this life. But, and that's a big but, but there's a promise of life and redemption to come. I came across this quote this week from Alistair Begg. He said this, Christianity is not about how to escape from the difficulties of life. It is how to face the difficulties of life. The life that we live, it boils down to this mindset that we have as followers of Jesus. It affects how, how we live our lives, how we view and face our difficulties that we come up against. Jesus knew the difficulties of this life. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man and faced every bit of temptation and trial and difficulty that we do as well. He knew how his life would end. He knew that he would go to the cross for our sin and, and he would bring about a path of life for us. But he had to bear all the weight of that. And even knowing that, even knowing that that's where he was headed, he didn't stop. He continued going down that path of faithfulness for us. Why? Because he knew that death, he knew that sin wasn't going to get the final word, that his God, his Father, gets the final word. And it's probably a good thing that we, we don't really get a glimpse of how, what's going to happen in our lives. I think that if we did, we would probably run the other direction, right? Uh, at least I probably know that I would. Um, but here's the thing. We can trust that God's plans and purposes for us are good, even when our circumstances are far from good. We can trust that God's plans and purposes for us are good, even when our circumstances are far from good. You see, God uses the particulars of our situation, our difficulties, the things that are happening in our lives to shape us into people who can be a blessing to the world. I think too often uh, my prayer, and I don't know if you do this too, but my prayer when difficulties come is, Lord, will you just take this away, right? Please just take this away. Jesus even prayed that prayer. Would you take this away, God? But he also added something right after there that, that I don't ever add to mine and, and need to start doing. He said, yet not my will, but your will be done. See, God uses, God redeems the things that happen to us in our lives for his good. And that's why Paul can just shake off all these things that are happening. The shipwreck, he can shake it off. The viper, he can shake it off. And what he does is he finds himself in the house of this Publius, the, the guy who runs the island. 
He shares the good news with them. He heals his father. He heals many others along the way in Malta. And if Paul would have continued to play the victim after all the things that had happened, I don't think that these things would have happened. He wanted to be faithful in what he was doing. He shook it off and he carried on to what God had called him to do. And that's because of this. We are called to walk a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Borrowing this phrase from the late Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor and author. A long obedience in the same direction. This is the life of a follower of Jesus. We're going to be hit by the waves of this life. We're going to find ourselves like that ship that Paul was on, tattered and battered along the way. But the thing is, is that we're called to continue in obedience all along the way, obedient to God no matter what comes up. We can't always control what happens in our lives. I guarantee you that the, the people on that ship wish they would have listened to Paul whenever he said, hey, we need to just winter here in this harbor and not uh, go on. But instead, they did. But we can't always control what, what happens in our lives, but we can control how we respond. So we shake it off and we, we move forward. We walk forward in obedience to God. But to walk, you got to do one thing. Playing a victim, what it does is we end up kind of looking at ourselves and we're so focused on ourselves that whenever God says it's time to walk forward, if you're still playing the victim, you end up only staying here and you have no clue where to go. And so what we have to do as we shake it off and we walk forward in obedience to God is that we have to lift up our eyes, lift up our heads, to look forward, to look beyond ourselves to something greater and someone greater. You see, Jesus went to Calvary for our sake, said that sin and death would no longer have the final word in our lives, but that God's life would. And by the power of God's spirit, the chains of sin are broken in our lives, friends. We can have new life, redeemed life in God, and we can live for something greater. We can live for something greater, empowered by someone greater, by the Holy Spirit in our lives for one purpose, for his kingdom come. We have victory over this world and over the things that happen to us because of this someone greater, and that's Jesus. Paul, knowing uh, what kind of life it looked like to live as you walk obediently no matter what difficulties and circumstances you find yourself in, he wrote this encouragement here uh, to the Corinthian believers. He said, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, God's spirit gives us new life. It's this being renewed part that we get to experience as followers of Jesus day by day, a renewed heart, a renewed mind, a renewed will, and a renewed love for what God is doing in our lives and for what God wants to do in this world. 
And even in the midst of of our trials and even in the midst of our difficulties, Paul tells us that we do this. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And that unseen thing is Jesus Christ, God's son. The author of Hebrews even tells us that, that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But here's the thing, to fix our eyes on Jesus, we have to lift up our heads. We have to take our eyes and take them from ourselves and lift them up to the one who can and the one who is able. There is nothing that our God can't do. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's more to this world than than our lives, our little kingdoms. His kingdom is coming and his kingdom is eternal and his love is coming eternally. One day Jesus will return and all the wrongs will be made right. All the hurt, all the, all the things that, that, all these difficulties, all this damage that we've sustained, all the sickness that we have, it will be healed. The tears that we cry today will be wiped away. God's kingdom is coming. We need to be a part of it. And we can be a part of it. We can be remembering of it. By the power of Jesus, our sadness and our mourning, they will be turned to joy and dancing. And I love the way that the message put those words that Paul said to the Corinthians. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace I love this. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the good, to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Now, I don't know what you walked in the doors this morning carrying. I don't know if you're watching online what what it feels like is weighing you down. But what I do know is that we can lift up our eyes, we can lift up our heads, and we can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can trust and know that the future ahead of us is greater than our present situation. Trusting and knowing that God is on the move, even when we can't see it in the present. Even after all of that, Paul, he kept his head up. He didn't play the victim. He shook it off and he began, he continued to walk down that path of obedience to what God had called him to do. He knew that God was on the move and he couldn't wait to see what God was going to do next as long as he had breath in his lungs. At the end of Acts 28, it's the very end of the book of Acts, uh, we find that Paul has made it to Rome uh, to find himself on house arrest, but that also didn't keep him down. He continued to preach day in and day out to the imperial guards and really anyone ever that would just listen to him. And the book uh, ends with these words, verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. When we shake off the difficulties of this life, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, then friends, that gives us a confidence to have boldness and go forth without hindrance because our God is there because of our confidence in Jesus. 
And that's when we get to experience the things that God is moving in in his world. And we get to have a front row seat to just see how great his faithfulness to us is. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we are grateful, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Lord, that even in the midst of the trials and difficulties of this life, Lord, though they do happen and will happen, Lord, that we can lift up our eyes and we can have the choice, Lord, not to play the victim, but to focus on you. Lord, to shake off these things and place our hope and our trust fully in you for what you can and are going to do in our lives. Lord, we trust you knowing that you don't make bad things happen to us, Lord. But Lord, you redeem those things that you take and your plans and purposes are good for our lives are good. And Lord, that even when our circumstances, our present reality doesn't seem all that good, Lord, that you are at work. And so, Lord, would you help us to be obedient? Would you help us to have a long obedience in the same direction, walking the path that you've set out before us, Lord, so that one day, as we don't focus on ourselves and we don't focus on this earth, Lord, but we look beyond it to the life eternal that you give us by the power of your Spirit, by your Son, Jesus. God, we are so grateful. And this morning, as we celebrate uh, your communion, Lord, the, the sacrifice that your son made, would you work in and through us to remember of just the great lengths that you take for us? Lord, as that bread and that juice enter our bodies, Lord, would your spirit remind us and empower us to live the life that you have called us to? Lord, to remember your faithfulness to us. And we pray this in Jesus' most holy and wonderful name. Amen.